0: So we're going to start a new series today. It's a series of studies in the life of David. And uh, actually, today's sermon is kind of a setup. It's setting up for what we're going to look at. And uh, I want to begin with with just a couple th- things. Where is, where is Mary Lou? I saw Mary Lou. There's Mary Lou. First Sunday back. Yeah, over here. It's so good to see you, and uh, every Sunday when we begin and look at what David is doing in his life as it relates to us and the Holy Spirit, well, I'm going to be asking you the question of what is the current state of your soul? What's the current state of your soul? Where are you, and uh, where are you with the Lord? Because we, as we were talking yesterday at, at the at the funeral, we were using Psalms twenty-three, and Psalms twenty-three says, He restores my soul. So I want to look at that, and, and we're gonna be talking about that in terms of of our commitment to him, our love for him, our passion for him. Where where are you? Where's your soul? And um, we're gonna we're gonna look at first Samuel Chapter 16 is where I want to start this morning, so if you turn to that, please, in your Bibles that you have, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and uh, let's rise together for the reading of God's Word. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as the king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hears, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel said, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse had Shammah passed by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? And there was still the youngest, Jesse answered, he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, arise, anoint him, this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and Samuel then went to Ramah. The Lord add his blessing to the Scriptures. Please be seated. Father, guide our thoughts and our minds and our hearts into this word that you have today for us, and we'll give you glory in Christ's name, amen. Amen. In the Old Testament, you have these stories, stories of David, stories of Moses, Abraham, all of these things. Why do we, why do we look at these? Why do we study these people? Well, first, there's several reasons. First of all, because David tells us something about ourselves. And when we see him fail, which he does a lot, it tells us about our own flaws, our own lives. When we see him succeed, it shows us how we should live our lives But primarily, as we look at this, it's not about us. Primarily, we study the life of David to learn about Jesus. Um, I got a thing on my pulpit for years that's been up here. I don't know who, I have suspicions, but I don't know who put it here. But it says, sir, we wish to see Jesus from John chapter 12. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Jesus. Primarily the word of God is about Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament doesn't make any difference. Because you see the Old Testament is the story of David are primarily about Jesus before they're about us and our lives. And if you read the Old Testament moralistically or you read it like it's a set of uh, Aesop's fables and say, what does this teach me? If you go right from David to you I think I can safely say this, you're not going to get as much out of it. The lessons will be shallow, but when you go from David to Jesus to you, it will actually have a transforming power in your life. It will change who you are. It it just won't simply beat you over the head because scripture will do that. Scripture will rip you up. In Luke 24, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he speaks to his two disciples, I've used this before, on the Emmaus Road, and they don't recognize him. And Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? Why are you so troubled? What's, what, what is, what, what's upsetting you? And they say, well, you know, you know, this Jesus that everybody's talking about. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. We thought he was going to be Messiah. We thought, but he suffered and he died. And then verse 27 says, and we're told this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus knew, all the disciples knew the Bible. They knew the Bible well. At that point, the Bible meant the Old Testament. I don't I I I just really don't agree with these knuckleheads today to say, well, let's just throw out the Old Testament. That's that's hogwash. I mean, half the Bible, let's just throw it out. Not important. Stupid. That's stupid. And I'm gonna show you why. I'm gonna show you why. Later in the same chapter in Luke, um, he takes them on a longer Bible study in, in chapter. Uh, 24, verse 44 and beyond. He says, and he starts with Moses and he goes through all the prophets and all the Psalms and the law and he explains that the scripture really is about him. Because the disciples don't know which end is up right now. They're just confused by everything. And they, they, they see the Bible differently than Jesus sees it. It's primarily he says, about me. About me. Let me give you a couple of examples of that as, as we go forward this morning. Somebody says, well sure there's, there's prophecies in the Old Testament, we know that. There, you know, there's places in Isaiah, there's places where Moses talks about the one that's coming, and those are about Jesus, but, but not just that. No, 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 no. Look at the law, the law in the Old Testament. The law tells us not just about you, The law tells us about Jesus. The law shows us the righteousness Jesus personally embodied when he came to earth. But more than that, there's a place in the book of Hosea. I'll just just touch this before I I move on. There's a place in the the book of Hosea where God says, Out of Egypt I call my son. You know know that passage. Out of Egypt, it's talking about Israel here, right? Talking about Israel. He called Israel out of Egypt through the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea and Moses and that great story about that and so on. And God says, yes, the exodus is about my son. And he calls Israel his son. Who is Israel? Israel is all the people of God. It's all the people who obey the law there. All who are in covenant with God, in a relationship with God. He brings them out and he calls them, these are my sons, these are my daughters. Now in Matthew 2, that text is also applied, which is about Israel, but it's applied to Jesus. When Jesus and his parents went to Egypt to get away from Herod, right, He comes back out of Egypt and Matthew says, yes, that's really what the Bible is talking about when it said, out of Egypt, I have called my son. And every Christmas we read, Joseph and Mary went down into Egypt and then they came back to Nazareth. And when you go to the reference at the bottom of the page in Matthew 2, it says, this is a quote from Hosea. It's a quote from Hosea. Hosea is talking about Israel, but Matthew applies it to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the remnant one. Jesus is the true Israelite. Jesus, and, 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 and only one who ever actually obeyed the law, ever. He is the Lord God, and he loved the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength, loved his neighbors himself, Therefore, all of the laws, all of the law, and, 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 and don't go with me here. And people say, well, the laws. No, he fulfilled the law. He didn't dismiss the law. He fulfilled the law. All those laws, they're fulfilled in Christ. And they're not dismissed. He fulfilled them in his life. They're fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we read the law and it says, do this and do that and you will be blessed, Right? Do this, Uh, obey these things, do these things and you will live and you will be blessed by God. And Jesus is the only person who ever fulfilled that law. He's the only one who has the blessing the law promises to those who are obedient. He has those blessings because he's the only one who's been obedient. And as a result, only Jesus and those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ get those blessings, get those blessings. The law is about Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know all those strange rules in Leviticus? You all love the book of Leviticus, right? You read it before you go to bed. Numbers, great book. You know, a lot of you know. it talks about the priestly uh, vestments. You know, gets on, you get into all that stuff. About the sacrifices, the altar, the showbread, the lampstand, all the the dietary laws that are there. You can't eat this, but you can eat this. And if you eat that, you can't go into the temple. You got to clean yourself. What's that about? What's that about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the lampstand. He's the light of the world. He's the temple. He's the way to God. He's the sacrifice who opens the way to God. The history of the Old Testament is all about Jesus, Jesus Christ. Every prophet is anointing and pointing to the great prophet. Every prophet points to Jesus. There's a place in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus says, Jonah knew this, and greater than Jonah is here. You remember that? Greater than Jonah is here. Solomon knew this, but greater than Solomon is here. He's talking about himself. What's he saying? Yeah, he's, that's what he's doing. Solomon sent ships all over the world to bring back goods and, and riches. Jesus walked on the water. Greater than Solomon is here. Is what I big deal? I walk on water, you know. Jesus says Solomon points to me. I'm the true Solomon. I'm the true Jonah. I'm the true David. So as we look at the life of David in the next several uh, weeks, uh, what 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 happens to him? How he lives? You're going to be learning about Jesus, and you're going to see Jesus here because everything in the scriptures is about Jesus Christ. Everything everything. Now you can read the Old Testament like it's a bunch of stories if you want, of fables, what is the moral of this? You know, what's the moral of David and Goliath? You've heard it it's been preached this way. I I've, I've preached it this way. Bigger they are, the harder they fall. Yeah? You yeah. know. Or if you really believe, you really try hard, you can do anything. You can you can be anything that you want to be if you Just trust God somehow, the great giants in your life are going to fall. A lot of of things there that we could say. In a sense, it is about that, in a sense. But then it's not. (laughs) Then it's not. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. What is this story about? And we're going to walk through this right now. The Lord says in verse 7 to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things like man looks at things. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Well, you can moralize that. You can't judge a book by its cover. Right? But that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. Here's the point. You can read the Bible... As if it's primarily about you, what you have to do, or primarily about God and what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has done in your life. And if you read the Bible primarily about what God has done, you're going to read the Bible in a whole different way, and you're going to look at the scriptures in a whole different way. You'll see Jesus everywhere, and you'll say, this is about Jesus. This is about the Lord. Not just David. Not just the bigger they are the harder they fall. Not just about you can't judge a book by its cover. You can get a little inspiration from that. I guess. I guess. I can face down those Goliaths in my life. But primarily it's about Jesus always. And I'll give you a couple examples of that if I want. Verse 1, let's look at verse 1, where we were. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, be on your way. So Saul's been rejected as king by God. Samuel was the one who anointed him in the first place, remember, as king. Saul turned out to be like all other kings. He was like no heart for God. So in Samuel 15, if you back up one chapter, the 15, verse 3, God speaks to Saul through Samuel in a prophecy. He says, go and wipe out the Amalekites. God says, kill them all, kill all their livestock, all their sheep, all their cattle, kill everything. Wipe them out. And you think, well, that's horrible. That's a terrible thing. I mean, it doesn't fit with us today, right? We don't like that. And then people will say, well, this is what I don't like about the Old Testament. I don't like it. the, the, The New Testament is a God of love. This is terrible. That's missing the point. That's missing the point of what the Old Testament is talking about. The Amalekites were a wicked, degenerate, vicious people. They were horribly oppressive, Horribly brutal to all people around them. Guilty of all sorts of atrocities. And God says, Saul, I want you to wage war against them. This is to be an act of justice, not imperialism. Justice. Saul, don't be like these kings. Other kings say they go to war for justice, but actually they just really go to war for power and wealth. Not you. Not you. God says, take no prisoners. Why is that important? Why is that important? The reason you would take prisoners is to ransom them. Is to make money from them. To make slaves of them. God says, you're not going to do that. Not going to do that. The reason you kill all the livestock is because livestock in that culture was their bread and butter. Their wealth. And God is saying wage war against these brutal people who need to be stopped. It was like going to war against the Nazis. They need to be stopped. It's a matter of justice. You must not gain power. You must not gain any wealth. No prisoners. No nothing. Don't take their gold. Don't take their stuff. Nothing. What did Saul do? He He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He won. He kept the king, Agag. He kept the livestock and he was being exactly like that king. No difference. He was doing the very thing the Amalekites were being punished for and God wanted Saul to be a king after God's heart. God's use of power is different than the world's use of power. When Hannah, who is Samuel's mother, went to the Lord, she was upset because she was barren. You remember the story. She was barren. She said, give me a son. God gave her a son. And she, the spirit of the Lord, the scripture says, comes upon her. It's in Samuel uh, the, chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2. And she says this. My heart rejoices in the Lord... There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit the throne of honor. The poor, the needy, place of honor for the foundations of the earth, are the Lord's, and upon them he has set the world. It is not by strength that one prevails. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So Hannah gets this prophecy from the Lord that this this, this king is going to do that, right? So there's there's no king at Israel in this time. No king. So So it was a prophecy that God was given to her. She gets this vision of a king with the heart of God. That kind of a a king who uses power the right way, uses it God's way. The king who lifts up the poor, cares for the poor, stoops down, reflects the heart of God when he's with his people. A king that was not like Saul. Saul was not that king. And the reason Samuel is weeping When we start out this verse, he's weeping here because Samuel must have gotten from his mother this vision of a king who reflects the heart of God to save and to lift up the poor, to lift up the needy, a real king, a real king. Samuel is the one who anointed Saul. He thought this was the one. But oh no. No. We're told in chapter 15 verse 11 that God tells Samuel I have rejected Saul as the king. And Samuel's up all night crying. He's up all night crying. He's in utter grief. All night it says. He's he's, he's just torn up by this. And here in verse 1 When we start out this next chapter, he's still crying about it. He's still crying about it. God has to shake him out of it. Samuel has this passion for a king that he's gotten from his mother. And he's just overcome with grief. By the way, God's not rebuking him for his grief. You should never rebuke someone for grief should never rebuke someone for grief. God doesn't rebuke Samuel for his grief. He rebukes Samuel for the length of his grief. When you're sad, you cry. When you're going through difficult times, there's tears, right? Right? As you read... Scripture, when you're sad, you should cry. Jesus cried all the time. Jesus cried all the time. But God says there's a limit. There's a limit. There's a limit to how long you carry this grief, how long you cry. He says here, come, be on your way to Samuel, right? Come and be on your way. Good friends who say to those who are grieving, You've grieved long enough. It's time to be on your way. God says to Samuel, be on your way. And Samuel says, how? In verse 2, how can I do this? Because Saul's going to hear about me wanting to anoint somebody different and he's going to kill me, Right? And the Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Is that a white lie? No, because he's really going to sacrifice. That's what he's doing there. Look at verse 3. God says, verse 3, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You remember Samuel, verse 4, was a prophet and, and, he, and he goes to Bethlehem and they come out and say, do you come in peace? Why is he? And, and, they're, and they're all shaken. They're all, they're, ah, Samuel's coming. Why? Why are they, why are they, what are they shaking about here? Well, as a prophet, he would go to places and he'd either come in judgment, right? Or he'd come in peace. He was coming to judge or he was coming in peace. Because of their sins, he would come in judgment. And, or, or he'd have a worship service. One of the two. That's what he was coming as a prophet to do. They say to him, are you coming in peace? Right? That's what it's right here. He says, Yes, in peace, I'm going to offer a sacrifice and I'm going to do it with Jesse at his home. He says, verse 5, consecrate yourself, which simply is just the way that you get ready for the Lord's Supper. When we have the Lord's Supper together, you know, um, examine yourself. Is it well with your soul? How's your soul? How's your soul? Pray, confess sins. Get ready. Get ready. So obviously, as we look at this story, and we just, just, just taking from it, Jesse knows Samuel is going to anoint a new king. It's risky. Not only is Samuel's life at stake because Saul is still on the throne, but Jesse and his children are in danger as well. But Jesse starts to send him his sons one by one, and in they come. And the first one Samuel sees is, uh, i have trouble with this guy's name. Just help me. What's the guy's name? Iliab. Iliab. He was a big guy. You, you guys ever stood next to Mike Fountain? <laughs> hey, Mike, stand up. There's a big guy right there. He's a big guy. He's. A, he's oh, you can sit down. <laughs> You're very intimidating, my friend. Eliab. Eliab. Samuel's making the same mistake here. This is a big guy that's coming in front of him here. And, 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 and Samuel's looking at the outside. This is, you know, uh, this is very American. This is very American, by the way. People put a lot of enormous time and energy and money in their appearance in America. You know? God says, Samuel, when are you going to learn? When are you going to learn? Money, beauty, power, stature, it doesn't matter. It's character, it's spirit, it's hearts. And Samuel looks at all of Jesse's children, and Jesse doesn't think to bring out David. He's the little one. He's the youngest one. He's busy. So Samuel turns and says, verse 11, is this it? Is this it? And Jesse says, no, there's one more. Right? We know the story. The little one, he says. And Jesse's making the same mistake as Samuel's making here. The little one in the field. We don't want to look at him. He says, call him here. In comes David. And in verse 12, the Lord says, that's the one. Right? That's the one. That's the one. And God anoints him, and the scripture says the Spirit of God comes on him and remains with him all of his days. So in the Bible, there are a number of people who are anointed. Judges are anointed, prophets are anointed. In general, this is what you get with the anointing of God. First of all, we find that the anointed of God are generally, well, they're never the choice of the world. It's not the world's choice. The world looks at outward appearance. Jesus was missed by the world, right? <laughs> because the Lord um, is different. He came differently than what they expected, you know. From a world's point of view, he was weak. Not, not king, you know. But from God's point of view, he was invincible. Secondly, the anointed is given a message, and this always is true. The the message of God shows up. He shows up. Look at Gideon. The the whole thing about Gideon in the Old Testament, he was anointed as a judge. Gideon is going to deal with the Midianites and God says, Gideon, I want to show them that I am the savior. That's the message. I am the savior. I want you to go up against the Midianites with just a few people. You don't need all these these big armies. Just, Just take a few people. And I'm going to show by that that it's not by power and it's not by might. I am the Savior. I'm the one. I'm going to deliver you through your weaknesses. I'm going to deliver you through the unexpected. I'm going to deliver you through the few. I'm going to deliver you through the one. What's the message? God is our salvation. That's the message. That's always the message. God is our salvation. Not you, not your might, not your strength. God is our salvation. Then the third thing we see from the anointed one of God is those called of God always suffer. David is anointed as a kid when Saul is on the throne and his son Jonathan is very clearly heir, and really a great guy, you know. And as a result, David has to wait and wait and wait patiently for years and years and is persecuted terribly, terribly as an outlaw. Do you see Jesus here? You see Jesus here? And I don't compare myself like this, but I have pain right now. I have pain. And Mary's illness has beaten me up. And, and I had a meltdown the other day, and some of you helped me through it. Because what I realized, and, and, and listen to this, what I realized, and I, I shared before, and I don't like to do this a lot, but I shared before that I realized that I love her more than I ever, ever thought I did. And I would walk across glass to get her the help that she needs. And it is really painful. It's really painful. So I'm laying in bed at night, and I do have tears. And I'm thinking at night. I'm thinking. And the thought comes to me through all of this. And I and I I believe this thought came from the Lord. And it's, do you love me like that? Like you love her? Do you love me? Will you do anything for me? Will you walk on glass for me? And I ended up, I've just started to sing, you know, that that chorus uh, that I really like. Jesus, Jesus, Lord to me. Master, Savior, Prince of Peace. Ruler of my heart today. Jesus, Lord to me. And the Lord's still teaching me. The Lord's still teaching through suffering. There's there's a purpose for everything in God's economy and he's teaching, he's, he's, he's changing us and it happens many, many times and most of the time through suffering. The anointed are always redeemed through suffering, through suffering. In 1 Peter it says this, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. Be glad when his glory is revealed. Be glad. And I'm not going to waste a moment of this. There's a purpose here. And the Lord's teaching here and directing here. And he does in your suffering as well. And the things you go through as well. It's redemptive. And the glory will be revealed. It's a promise of scripture. I'm not going to waste this moment. David becomes a king with God's heart. Saul never went through what David went through. Really, did he? No, he was just anointed king. What are you teaching here? Lord, what are you teaching here? Saul came right into power. It seduced his heart. Right, watch, watch it. David had to depend on God. David had to trust God. David had to become like Jesus. And, and through ma- suffering he was matured. Perfect through obedience now. He's, he, the Lord's taken him through all of this stuff before he becomes king. Suffering is redemptive. Number four. Those called are first given a promise. Secondly, they're given the presence of God. And thirdly, they're given a job to do. Job to do. In order to suffer, in order to take the message, the anointed of the Lord is given a promise. What's that promise? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make you a king. I'm going to make you a king. I'm going to make you a child of God. Whatever. I'm going to make you a child of God. You know. And then what does he do? I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to give you the spirit of God. We sang about this. And then what's next? I'm going to give you a job to do. Go prepare to be a king. Prepare to be a child of God. Prepare yourself. Whenever God anoints anybody, he's anointing this person for a purpose. And he sends them out, but they're sent out to suffer sent out with a message that the world is not going to like. Not going to understand. In David, you see the Lord. And we're going to see that in the next couple of weeks. In David, you're going to see the Lord Christ. Jesus, above all, was one who was misunderstood. Everybody said, this can't be the Messiah. This can't be the Messiah. Then secondly, Jesus was anointed, but he was persecuted by his own people. And he was redeemed through that suffering. And he redeemed us through that suffering. Now this is the reason why on the road to Emmaus' disciples, remember what they said? We thought he was going to redeem us. But he suffered. Well, that's how he redeemed. You see it? We thought he was going to redeem us, but he suffered. Jesus says, you don't get it. You don't get it. You're reading the Bible as if it's about you. It's about me. You're reading the Bible as if salvation comes through power and might and accomplishment and performance. So you read these stories in the Bible and you say, I could do it. I can do it. I'm going to be like that. And you say that and scripture says you don't understand the Bible is about me. Jesus is talking here. The Bible is not about how you're redeemed without suffering. No, I've redeemed you through my suffering. And you'll be redeemed through suffering. So Christians, 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 you see what this means? You see what this means? The Bible says we're, we're anointed. You know, It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're anointed. Every Christian is anointed. You see that up there on the screen? Every Christian is anointed with the Holy Spirit. All Christians are given a promise. All things work together for good, right? We're given a promise. I will be with you to the ends of the earth. We're given a promise. I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. I will not forsake you. We're given a promise. Now you're righteous in my sight. We're given these promises of God. We're given the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We're sent out. And because we're anointed like the Lord, chosen by God, even through the word, the world looks at us like we're unimportant. Right? Is that right? The world looks. Like, the church is not important. People of God are not important. No, Scripture says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You can't let the world's standards influence your understanding of who you are. Not for a minute. You're chosen by God. You're a child of God. You're an heir of God. You can't let the world's standards influence your understanding of how you look at other people either. If you're anointed, there's going to be suffering. And I went to a pastor's thing this week and for a little bit, and I was, one of the things they were put up on the screen, I, I was sharing this with Andy, it said, and that kind of shocked me. It says that uh, of all the pastors who start ministry, only 10% finish. 10%. finish as a pastor, there will be suffering. But that suffering will be redemptive. It'll be redemptive. And remember this, when you become a Christian, and I'm going to close here, when you become a Christian, you're saved from the penalty of sin, right? The scriptures say you're saved from the penalty of sin. That, That redemption is done. That redemption is over. There's no condemnation now to those who are, right? To those who are in Christ Jesus, you're saved. That is over. Christ suffered for that, done. But as a Christian, you'll find you still need to be saved from the power of sin. You still need to be saved from the power of sin. And only through your hurts, only through your problems, your everyday activities, only through the wisdom that comes from a heart that is suffered, will you find you're redeemed from the power of sin. These things we go through are redemptive. And you become useful to other people. You become useful to other people from what you've been through. The pain that you've experienced. And it's very humbling. It's very humbling. You find I can help you because of the troubles that I've been through. I can help you. I've been there. I know this. And you help people because now you look at your life and you will see you are teeny anointeds who point to Jesus Christ. That's your life. You point to Jesus Christ. So we have to recognize... The Bible's first about him. It's all about him. From Genesis to Redemptive. It's about him. Redemptive history. So we're going to look at the life of David in the weeks to come. If David is telling us about Jesus, and then it tells you about you, but it's Jesus first. Again, if you go from David to you, you're just getting these drippy little fables. Aesop's fables. Oh yeah,. That, yeah. bigger they are, hardly fall. And you'll leave maybe a little bit inspired but not transformed and not redeemed. Jesus says it's about me. Went through all the prophets, right? Went through the scriptures. Look look here, this is all about me. Pointing back to him. The more you see that it's about Jesus, the more you understand what it has to do with you. What it has to do with your life. What's the current state of your soul? What's the current state of your soul? let's pray together our father we're we're uh, we're thankful for this uh, illuminating word it's so rich, so powerful you uh, you know we sing we sing lord's songs that you're all in all and uh and I've been I've been challenged by that. Are you, are you all-in-all all to me? Are you really all-in-all all to me? Are you really bigger than my problems? Does this mean anything? Does the pain we suffer mean anything? And so we look at Scripture, we we. We say, "Oh yeah, yeah. We 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 believe in the Word of God. We believe in Lord. We this is Your Word, and and we keep, Lord. We keep taking these things to ourselves. I can do this. I, I'm I'm I can do. I can handle this. I've I've been educated. I I I I I I. I And then, <laughs> and then you humble us. Then you bring into our life that which is unexpected. And all of life changes. Where you go, what you do. And you humble us. Father, help us to know that that's for your glory. It's for your glory. It's for your glory. That Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. And that we have to lean upon him, come to him, trust in him, lift him up, and allow the suffering to be what God intends it to be redemptive. To bring us into a closer relationship with our Lord. So we pray for that. And we just want to praise you because of that. We just want to praise you. And thank you for what you continue to do in the life of this church and this congregation with with individuals. And I know there's, there's a lot of different pains that are here this morning. There's a lot of different things that people are having in their lives right now that they're confused by and and concerned about and that are are debilitating for them. So, Father, we pray that this word this morning will be that which brings some light and will bring some comfort and bring some searching of their own souls to the end that you're glorified by who they are and what you're doing in their hearts and lives. And this is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray.